13th, and we're in this uh, series, and I was talking about marriage, and it was the section in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about divorce and adultery, and, um, and March 15th, the reason I know the date is because March 16th was the light at the end of the tunnel for me. I've been through a couple months of uh, busier pace than normal, some um, speaking engagements, some high-pressure deadlines, some things. Do you ever do that on your calendar where you have a date and you go, this is the light at the end of the tunnel? And even on the 15th, for those of you that were here and you remember, I was like on my deathbed. I'm like snorting NyQuil and, you know, doing all this stuff just to stay alive. But the 16th is we're going to Italy to visit my, it was kind of a double dip celebration. It was our 30th anniversary while we were there. And at the same time, we were visiting my youngest who's studying over in Italy. And, and so even though I'm sick, I'm just going 16th, light at the end of the tunnel is going to be so, so great. And here's the thing that you need to know. My wife did everything. She'd made all the arrangements. She got the tickets, the places, the tours, everything that we're going to do. I did not do one thing. Now, she would ask me questions like, you want to do this? You want to do this? Financial questions where I always had to tone her down. And, uh, but, you know, after 30 years, she's learned how to work me. But she, she, she did everything, asked all the right questions, but one question. And the lack of that one question actually threw our life into about a 24-hour tailspin of chaos. The question that she didn't ask, anybody guess? Passport, more specifically, the expiration date of the passport. So Sunday night is usually our family night where in-law, everybody comes over on Sunday night and we just kind of have a family, family party. And my father-in-law, who's actually going to Italy in a couple weeks to see his granddaughter, my daughter, my father-in-law says, hey, um, have you checked the expiration date of your passports? And I, I know mine expires in 2020, so I'm fine. But Kathy says, no, I haven't. She looks. Hers expires in 10 weeks. And to go into Italy, you have to have 12 weeks. Okay. Now, some of you Cavalier people will go, Oh, no big deal. Just, they'll let you in. No, they won't. Okay, that's not how it works. So immediately, my wife races to CVS to get new passport photos. I'm thinking, boy, the light at the end of the tunnel is now going to get extended a couple more days because we're not going to be able to go. She wakes up the next morning at 4.30 in the morning. Her dad drives her to L.A. where she gets, gets in line, first in line to try to get an emergency passport that they don't give until 2.30 or 3 o'clock that day. It, and it's not even guaranteed. Okay? Well, my flight leaves out of Santa Ana at 12. And I'm going. Okay? <laughs> I'm going with or without her. We will, we will FaceTime for our 30th anniversary if, if we need to, all right? So Kathy totally works her magic and gets on a later flight that day out of LAX, flies in. She lands four hours behind me, okay, four hours behind me. I flew from Santa Ana to Denver. As I'm boarding the flight to Munich in Denver, lady in front of me gets pulled out of line because her passport and I hear her say, you can't board this plane. And I'm like, oh, my wife is the, she needs to be on Cirque de Soleil, how she pulled this, you know, this whole thing off. Now, why do I tell you that story? First, because now I can officially make that trip a tax deduction. 
Okay, I can write the whole thing off because I've now brought you into my world. Uh, but <clears throat> Second, the reason I tell you that story, because I think there's a lot of us in here, and if we're really honest, a lot of us in here, we are actually planning the trip of our life. We're planning this beautiful journey that we call life. And we're making our plans, and we're dreaming about our plans and our future, and we've got all these questions that we're asking but oftentimes I find that we're not asking the right questions. We might be asking a hundred good questions, but we're missing a couple key questions. And what I want to do today, if you pull out your outlines, I want to give you four questions. Four questions that I think are real important for you and I to ask as we aim our heart toward Easter. Okay? These questions have actually been living in my journal for several years. It was six years ago this week. Six years ago this week, I was preparing an Easter message, and I was talking about fresh starts, and it became very clear for me as I was writing this message that I was the recipient of what I was preaching about, that I needed a fresh start. I'd had this, this unsettled feeling, which ironically was weird. I was unsettled because my life was so settled. Everything was going good. I had a great job. I worked with great people. My family couldn't have been better. My friendships were healthy. My hair was looking good. I was in amazingly ripped shape. American Idol wanted me to perform. I won the Nobel Peace Prize. I mean, really, my, my life was really, really good. But in the midst of that... There was just something in my soul that was unsettled. If you're here last week, Jeff talked about fine. Your life is just fine. And as I listened to Jeff last week, I thought that describes where I was at six years ago. It was just, I was longing for something more, something to, for my life to have meaning. So it was kind of spontaneous, but I resigned from maybe the most enviable teaching position uh, in the country, at one of the most influential churches in the world, I shocked everybody. My boss didn't even accept my resignation, <laughs> which I didn't know you could do that. Uh, he, he said, what are you resigning to? And I said, I don't know. I'm just, I'm done. And he gave me a three-month sabbatical to make sure it was God speaking and not a burrito that I ate the night before, and it was a beautiful paid vacation because at the end of three months, I said, no, really, I'm gone. And here's what happened. Overnight, I went from teaching people how to have faith to now having to live by faith. And what did it really mean to follow Jesus when I didn't know what was ahead other than I knew that something needed to change, that the direction that my life was going was just it was, it was fine. And the last six years has been a fun, scary, wild, unknown, not safe, not secure adventure that I wouldn't trade for anything. And neither, neither would Kathy, my wife. And I'm just curious. Has anybody in here ever had that experience where you're just in your life, you go, there's got to be something more. Let me see. Okay, let me see. Oh, wow. Yeah, many of you. 
And if this doesn't apply to you now, that's okay, take notes, because it, it will apply to you at, at some point where you're not exactly sure what needs to change, but here's where I think most people miss it. And I don't say this to pat myself on the back because I'm sure I missed it many times before this. They've got that unsettling that they want something more out of life, but then what they do is they go back to what they've been doing. And they crowd it out or they drown it out with noise and activity, and then they wake up 10 years later and they're in the same spot they would have been. So instead of asking the right questions, we drown it out with busyness and activity. And so what I want to do is we, we head into Easter. This is a great time to think about fresh starts, friends, because that's what Easter's all about. Easter is the Super Bowl for those of us who follow Jesus. It's the most important day. It's where Jesus actually became who he said he was, God. Okay? Good teachers don't raise from the dead. And this week, the week before Easter, is Palm Sunday. So this is, like, this is like the championship game right here. And Palm Sunday is where Jesus, a week before his death and resurrection, he makes a triumphal entry into Jerusalem where he is hailed as, as king, king of the Jews. People, people got it. The palm, and for those of you that don't know, I'm not pretending or assuming everybody knows, but when we talk about Palm Sundays, palms refer to the palm branches that were laid on the road as Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem. The palm branches were a sign of, of respect. It was a homage. It was a, a symbol, a tribute. Basically, they were shouting, this is someone special. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 21. If you don't, it's in your notes or up on the screen. In Matthew 21, we see one, actually, this very few times are, are events in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem is in all four of these uh, events, starting in verse 1. As they, meaning Jesus and his, and his crew, approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and once you will find a colt tied there with her colt by her. I'm sorry, a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Now, we're not going to do this, but someday I want to teach a message on who was that guy that had the donkey? Okay? I don't know what I'm going to call it. You know, something, I'm going to use the word ass. In it, because that's the one time you can do it and be safe, you know, when you're talking about a, a donkey. Uh, but I, I, it just, I just think that's a great story, that here's a guy who's got a donkey, he's got a possession, and somebody comes to him and says, the Lord wants it, and he gives him his donkey. There's a story there. There's a message. I'm not sure. We're, we're, I'm ready for it yet. But uh, here, verse 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey... And on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Now, this is in reference to an Old Testament prophecy in the, the book of Zechariah, the second to the last one in the Old Testament. This was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. All throughout the Old Testament, there is prophecy that a savior, that a king, that a redeemer would come. Okay? The Jews to this day, they ever, the Jews believe in Jesus. They just don't believe that he was the prophesied Messiah. All right? So this is an actual fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And it continues on. The disciples went and did what Jesus had instructed them. 
They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna is just a, a Hebrew word transliterated. It means this, save now, save now. The garments, the branches, those were all a symbol of, of divine authority and, and respect. And this isn't anything you can't find. If you just went online, you could look in a commentary and read some of the symbolism that goes behind that. That's not what is interesting to me today. What's interesting to me today that I want you to see the first of our four questions is what the crowd says next. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. That's the first question that as we move into Easter week that we have to answer. And I call it a question of importance. Who is this Jesus? See, for your life to have real meaning, I mean real meaning, not just not just superficial meaning, but for our, your life to have real meaning, this question has to be answered. And unlike the crowd, do you notice how the crowd answered who Jesus was? Unlike that time, the crowd can't answer for you. You've got to answer this question for yourself. And unlike other religions, you're not born into a faith in Jesus. You, you see this all the time. People think, oh, I was born in, I was born in America, so I'm Christian. No, that's not how it works. It, you know, if you were born at Starbucks, you would not be a Frappuccino. This is, this is not the way it works. Each of us is born into, uh, we make a decision to follow Christ. So who is Jesus to you? And the options are pretty limited. For some of you, Jesus is just a good teacher. Okay? Just a good teacher that said some amazing things, maybe a little more amazing than Aristotle. But we still quote Aristotle, who was before Jesus. Okay, uh, maybe Jesus was a con man, and then he conned everybody, and even the resurrection was somehow a, a con. He's fooled people for thousands of years, or Jesus was who he said he was—that he was God, part of the Trinity: God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You've got to decide. That's one of the most important questions in life: is who is Jesus. Now, I'm guessing 75% of us in here, maybe more, have made that decision. But I realize many of you, especially when you have kids programs, you've invited friends, other people here, you're like, I was, I was tricked into coming. Okay? I was jesus You know, I, I still thought this was a movie theater. And I thought we were going to Edwards today. And here you are, clowns up there talking about Italy and, and Jesus. I, I don't even know what's going on here. Okay? Uh, and you, you, were, you were tricked. And, if, and you're thinking, I'm just not religious. And if that's you, that's okay. So we're not a very religious bunch here. But this question, who is Jesus, has been asked for over 2,000 years. He's the most revered person to ever live and is worth your discussion. I believe everything in life hinges on that question. You can live a fine life without Jesus. You just won't live a life of meaning and what is the, an eternal life, life after death. So that's important question number one. That's, the, that's a passport type question. 
A second question I put in your notes here is what I call a question of desire. And this is the question is, am I really drawn to something different? As you move into this Easter season, I want you to think about this. Are you really drawn to something different? Are you, in your heart of hearts, are you drawn to, to live different? Are you drawn to think different? Are you drawn to love different? Because that's what Jesus requires. Jesus calls his followers to be different. That there's, you, you, there's something about you. I don't know what it is, but I sense something about you. That's, that's the Jesus in you, that when you are a fragrance in this world, Jesus, you know, we just spent three weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. And the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you're, you're salt and you're, you're light. You're salt, you're to counteract decay, you're light, you're to, you're to penetrate the darkness in this world. The Apostle Paul says that those of us who follow Jesus have a fragrance about us. You and I are called to be different. Are you really willing to be different? Because I understand. If you would say no, I understand no. Because different is scary. Different is an adventure. Being the same, that's comfortable. Status quo, it's, it's warm. But if you get that gut feeling that in the silence, if you ever have silence in your life, but you get that gut feeling where you go, I want more. I want more out of life. I want more out of relationships. I want more for my future. I want more for my faith. That's, that's desire. Last month, there was a guy who the last time I actually saw him was back at the door after I spoke one weekend. His name is Garrett Breland. He's younger than me. He's like 50, 49, 50 years old. And Garrett Breland suddenly passed away. Left a beautiful family. Um, he was a junior high teacher in Mission Viejo. He was a coach. He played football at USC. He was drafted by the Rams. He was the head of Fellowship of Christian Athletes here. Just curious, by show of hands, how many of you knew either him or of him? Okay, yeah, several of you. His funeral was, was packed. And um, one of the guys that was speaking at the funeral said, if you're under 26 years old and you have been impacted by Mr. Breland's life, I want you to stand up. And you should have seen this place. People just stood up. And as my son described it to me, because my son was one of them, I was out of the country at the time. As my son described it to me, I got chills not even being there. This wave of young people, a life that he had influenced. Friends, that's a life of meaning. And that type of life, it does not happen by accident. Okay? It happens by desire. It starts with desire. I've done a lot of funerals in my life. I've buried a lot of very rich people who died with money but without meaning. And as I look at Garrett's life, a life cut short, here's a guy who lived a life of meaning, who impacted so many other people. But what I want you to hear is that desire, that impact, doesn't happen by accident. It's a desire to be different. So I ask myself this question. I go, okay, why is it? I'm going to stand in front of a lot of people this week. Why is it that most of us in here 
don't have that desire to be different, that Jesus calls us to this different life. And one of the thoughts that kept running through my mind is, I don't think a lot of us in here understand how different Jesus was and how radical his teaching is and how he calls us to do things that the rest of the world thinks is insane. See, we have this picture of Jesus that he's, that he's just nice. I actually brought a picture of, of Jesus that, uh, yeah, this is, this is handsome Jesus with a nicely groomed beard and a just look at that smile. And he loves animals. That is so cute. And, and, and then not just that, but it, we also have an image that Jesus acts like this. Watch this. you've done wrong since I last saw you. Don't try and hide because I am Jesus. I will find you. Let's start with you, Peter. You lied to your mother the other day. Andrew, you said a naughty word when you hit your finger with the hammer. James, you laugh at him when he hit his finger. Moving right along, John, you drank too much wine the other night. Not way too much, just enough to make me angry. Matthew, we fell asleep in church, didn't we? Yes, we did. And Thomas, you were slow dancing a little too close with that girlfriend of yours. Let's see. And you, I forgot your name, so you're off the hook for now. Stella, um, I saw you smoking a cigarette behind that big rock the other day. Thaddeus, I hate to say I saw you stick up your middle finger at someone who cut you off when you were riding your camel. Benjamin, you aren't wearing your WWJD bracelet. <laughs> Jacob, I don't mind you saying my name, but not after you stub your toe. Frank, you know what you did. I just can't repeat it because I'm Jesus. <laughs> all right, all you sinners, come with me. <laughs> See, I just think that's one of the images that we have, that Jesus is this, this white, pasty, just nice teacher who calls us to, to this little passive life of do-gooders. And so we create, this, we create this religion, and it just becomes one of the domains of our life. We've got all these domains, and religion is one of them, as opposed to really understanding that Jesus is calling you and I as followers to be different, to be a light in the midst of darkness, to be salt in the midst of decay. That Jesus is, is attractive, he's, he's winsome, he's magnetic, he's challenging, he's transforming. Jesus isn't weird. Christians are. Okay? Christians are weird. I have an easier time pointing people to Jesus than pointing people to Christians or, or oftentimes even to, to church. That's why I love the bumper sticker that says, Jesus, please protect me from your followers. Because okay, they're weird. But don't be fooled. Jesus' teaching is radical. I mean, if you just were to flip through, if all you had, you're in prison for whatever reason, and they give you not the whole Bible, you only get a slice of the Bible. You get Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, what we've been looking at for the last few weeks. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And you just scan through that. Tell me this is not radical when Jesus says, don't point out the speck in another person's eye until you deal with the log in your own. That's radical. 
Do to others whatever you'd like for them to do to you. Don't store up treasures here. Store up treasures in heaven. Use your resources to impact and influence others. You've heard it said before, don't murder. But I say the anger in your heart is actually what's killing people. You've heard it said before, don't commit adultery. But I say the lust in your heart is adultery. If someone slaps you, offer the other cheek. This is radical. Jesus says, if someone sues you for your shirt, give him your coat too. If someone demands you to carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. See, do you really desire, as we move into this this pinnacle of our faith season, do you really desire to be different? Because it all starts with desire. And we're called, Jesus makes this radical call for you and I to be different. And it's not easy. That's why I tell people, I give you the out all the time. Let's just use the words of Jesus in Matthew 7. Here's what it says. Jesus is speaking. He says, enter through the narrow gate. I mean, he's really saying, hey, there's two routes. Here's the one I want you to go to, the narrow one. For the wide, for wide is the gate and broad is the road but it leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You know, as my children were growing up, as I was teaching them the ways of Jesus, I would say to them, kids, you're always going to have choices. And there's a wide road and an easy gate to go through, and it's going to be where everybody makes the same decisions. You're going to be tempted. You're even going to be drawn because everybody's going that way. The road of Jesus is, is, is difficult, okay? It's, he calls us to do stuff that is right for our heart and right for love, but is so difficult to do. Now, if you look in your notes, I just, I thought, I'm going to give you a little homework this week. Instead of waking up and checking your Instagram or Twitter or see how many emails you got before you even get out of bed, I just put a little what I call a prayer of desire. And I'd love for you to try to pray this this week. Just to say, what would it look like if you started your day with a desire for Jesus? And it's simple. I desire you. I desire to live your ways. I desire to reflect you today. I desire your will and whatever you bring my way. You want a life of meaning? You want a life? You want a fresh start? It starts with desire. And this question of desire then moves to a third question, which is a question of decisions. Am I really willing to follow? Because it's one thing to say, I'm all in. You know, I've been a youth pastor for 30 years. So we'd take kids away at camp, right? And at Saturday night at camp, it was always the buildup and all, you know, kids want to be, I want to be different. They called the mountaintop experience. Because you take them away at a mountain, they all want to be different until the bus goes home. And then all of a sudden, you walk, they walk into their bedroom, and their little brother or sister had been playing with one of their CDs, and you know, the next thing they know, they're flushing their head down the toilet, and, go, Whoa! and, and, it, and it's the mountaintop experience. We all say we desire, but really what it comes down to is, do my decisions reflect that desire? See, I can follow my desires, which is my agenda, or I can follow his agenda okay the difficult question the reason this is difficult is because of the word my 
mine. I like me. Doug Fields is the president of the Doug Fields fan club. Okay? I'll just tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm very selfish. I like what's comfortable for me. I like my plans. I like my agenda. Kind of the dreams I have for myself are magical. I've, I've mapped it out. and I'm, I'm awesome in my plan. And the reason that I struggle with following Jesus always points back to selfishness. Anybody else in here willing to admit with me that they're, to their core, pretty selfish? Let me see your hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you weren't going to raise your hand, I would, I would encourage you to say, okay, well, next time you come here, let's see how this fits. You just take the worst parking spot here at Mariner's Mission Viejo, and you just walk the farthest so other people, you know, that's not natural for us, is it? It's not natural for us to, to serve other people. We're, we're selfish at my core. I've, I maybe have shared this with you before. I don't, I don't know I, where I first learned that how painfully selfish I was is when I got married. And I went, oh, gosh, it's just not her. It's, it's, it's me. Uh, that I, and I, here's what I realized. I could be selfish while I'm asleep. That's how selfish I am. Because there was one time early in our marriage, Kathy woke me up. Dug, 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 dug. There's somebody downstairs. And I was like, I, I, you know, it was one of those, I didn't know if I'm in a dream, if, I, if, I, if this is real. And so as I'm in my sleep mode, uh, I, I say, no, nobody's downstairs. And she, no, no, she wasn't going to live with that. So she's waking me up. And I'm thinking, maybe she fell asleep watching news and there was some homicidal maniac escaped from a maximum penitentiary and you know he's at our house at the time in Irvine because that's where all convicts go to is is Irvine because they can penetrate the plastic bubble and and, uh so uh, and then and then I just I was lying I don't hear any and I could hear stuff but I'm like I don't hear anything because I didn't want to get out of bed plus what good would it do that I go downstairs with a plunger and, uh, you know, swinging an alarm clock in my BVDs, you know, if Freddy Krueger's down there, he's going to kill me. No, just ransack the place. And so here's what I said to my loving new bride. Why don't you go check? <laughs> I know. How terrible is that? That is awful. But that's what I said, because I kind of thought, you know, I make more money than you do. If anybody should get hurt, it should be you. You know, whatever, okay? That's... I know, but here's my point. At my core, when I'm awake, when I'm asleep, I'm selfish. But in the journey since I was 17 years old, when I put my faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God has been moving in my life to change me and transform me to make me less selfish. As a matter of fact, for some of you, if you ever wonder, how do I know if I'm growing spiritually? Because it doesn't have to do with your church attendance or, you know, you, all of a sudden, you know you're growing spiritually when your character begins to change. And I just put there in your notes a little scale of 1 to 10. There are some things in your life, the selfish scale, that when it comes to your kids, your marriage, or whatever, you go, okay, I'm a 9. But then you kind of wake up six months later and you go, you know what? That stuff doesn't buy. I'm actually a 7. That's spiritual growth. 
That means the Spirit of God is transforming you from the inside out. Now, this isn't for you to fill out for your spouse or your kids, okay? That is not for you to do that for them. But something within you is changing. And this is the, this is the hurdle that tanks a lot of people in their spiritual maturity. Let me say that again. This is the question that tanks most people in their spiritual maturity. I've been teaching people the Bible for a long time. And I meet a lot of used-to-be's. I used to go to church. I used to be a Christian. I used to do this. As a matter of fact, I was at one of my regional offices a while back. When I say regional offices, I office out of fast food restaurants. So I was at, uh, I was at Chick-fil-A. And at Chick-fil-A, um, I've got my papers out, my Bible was out, I was working on a message, and a guy walks by my booth and he mutters, God doesn't work. And then he sits at the booth, not with his back to me, facing me. And kind of awkward, and I thought, God doesn't, God doesn't work. At first, you know, I'm thinking, maybe I didn't hear him right. Maybe he said, God, this doesn't work. You know, in reference to his watch or his pepper shaker or his wife's makeup or, you know, something like that. But no, he wanted the God represented from my Bible and me, both the Bible and me, to know that, that God doesn't work. And so he's facing me, looking at me, and I said, um, you talking to me? And I was nice, it was polite, it wasn't like, you know, Al Capone, you talking to me? Okay, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that, I just said, you, you talking, my first thought was, get behind me, blasphemer, do you not know that we were in God's restaurant right now, that uh, Christian chicken closed on Sundays, I mean, come on, this, if anything works, then my second thought was, what kind of person walks by a table, scans it, and then mutters a comment? You know, like the guy's working on his laptop. Bill Gates doesn't work. You know, or whatever, you know. <laughs> Steve Jobs is dumb. Anyway, I, I get back past the little deal, and you got to get into a conversation. I mean, at that point, you can't just go, oh, how's the brownie? So I said, that's an interesting comment. How did you come to that conclusion? And then I just listened to him. And it wasn't anything I had ever heard before. I j this was just more obnoxious. And I probably shouldn't have, you know, when I, when I woke up in the bed of his truck in Mexico, uh, you know, I probably shouldn't have argued with him. No. Here is, let me give you the, here's the story. Long story made medium length. When the ways of Jesus, okay, conflicted with his ways... He chose his ways and then had the audacity to get mad at God who wasn't blessing him. Does that make sense? I've heard it a hundred, maybe a thousand different times. No, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm going to do this one my way, and then I'm going to get mad that, that God isn't involved in, in my life. And friends, let me just tell you, God doesn't work like that. God is not this magic genie that we carry through life. And we just rub the little genie box and he comes out and grants us our three wishes. And it may be shocking to some, but God is not waiting to infuse you with his presence and his power like he promises. He's not waiting to infuse you with his presence and his powers so that you can do your plans. No, he's waiting for me and the dude at Chick-fil-A to be courageous enough to move away from our selfish agenda to say, God... I desire you. 
what do you have for me today? I'm yours. Not only do I want to be different, I'm going to make decisions to support that. This scripture in your notes in Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching about money and possessions and and worry. And he makes it clear that, that he's in control. And basically he says this, you know, you want to be wise? Don't worry about stuff and make me your primary concern. And typically, I don't use paraphrases when I teach. I typically will use a a translation. This is a paraphrase, meaning that any of us could have paraphrased it this way, although this person is way smarter than me. But I just like the way this is, is worded. I want to read it to you. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax and not be so preoccupied with getting. That's your agenda, Doug. I'm trying to get you not to be so preoccupied with your agenda. So you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way that he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. So steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Now, some of you know this paraphrase as this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to What I want people to, I mean, my life mission is to help people to understand that the God that I know, the God that I've observed in people's lives, has this bucket of blessings that he's ready to pour out on those of us who make him our primary concern, for those of us who follow him. Now, I always got to be careful on that, because that bucket of blessings might not be blessing your agenda. That bucket of blessing may not mean you're gonna, your company's going to grow or you're going to get that new job or get married or get that specific date. No, he blesses the way that he chooses to bless in his economy. See, he promises to meet our needs day by day, not our wants, but our needs if we put him first. So what does this look like in the real world? In the real world, it looks like this. When Jesus says, follow me and serve... And then our selfish agenda kicks in and says, I'd rather be comfortable and serve myself. What decision do you make? That's really the question of decisions. Or when Jesus says, follow me and forgive that person who has wounded you. But you say, your selfish agenda says, I'd rather seek revenge. What decision do you make? It's the question of decision. When Jesus says, follow me, and would you loosen your grip on finances and use your resources to benefit the kingdom? But your selfish agenda says, I would rather gather and gain and support my agenda of comfort. What decision do you make? See, if I told you all the stories in my life, that the times I look back to 17 years old when I first said yes to Jesus... And I look at the pain and the heartache and the discomfort that I've brought on myself. It always goes back to those moments of decision where I said, 
I'm going to go my way. And then, like my Chick-fil-A friend, I oftentimes have the audacity to say, God, where are you? Here's what I've been learning over the last six years. When the question of desire and the question of decisions are a yes, what it leads to is devotion. When the answer to questions two and three, when you look at those in your notes, I should have put numbers by them, but I didn't. Okay, when you look at the two questions that we talked about, question of desire and questions of decisions, are answered with a yes, it actually results in devotion. And that's the final question. It's the one I want you to reflect on as we continue to, to sing and to worship. Is what gets your primary attention? The, the answer to this question is usually obvious. What gets your primary attention? It's, it's usually seen in our desires and our decisions. I'll tell you from me, as I thought about this message and thought about teaching it to, to you, I thought, what do I, I want to be devoted to? I want to be devoted to Jesus. Not to religion. Not to Christianity. I want to be devoted to Jesus. I want to lean in His way. I want to try to follow His teachings I want to walk that extra mile. I want to serve. I want to forgive. I want to do those things. I don't always do them, but I, I, I want to. I want to be filled with his spirit that he promises. I want to sense his presence. I want to hear his, his whisper. Because when I walk that way, I actually don't miss the big questions. It's that when I walk my own way that I miss the questions. You know, in seven days, we celebrate this. Anything is possible with God. That's what we celebrate. God defeated death when Jesus rose from the dead. And anything is possible, even for a broken guy like me. So I'd like to invite you to respond to these questions during our time of, of singing and prayer. Who is Jesus? Maybe you've already answered that. So... Do you really desire to be different? And if you've already answered that, then are you really willing to follow? And what does that look like for you? Jesus, we pause to just say thank you. Thank you for your love for us, that your love for us isn't based on our religious performance. Your love for us isn't based on the size of our bank account. Your love for us isn't based on all the little things that we do. But you love us because you created us. And as we prepare our hearts in this calendar year to really celebrate the resurrection, we pray that you would give us a new, a new sense of uh, meaning and purpose. That for those of us in here who have felt that unsettling, that we want a life of meaning, yet we continue to drown it out in activity, that you would give us the courage to escape our selfish decisions and make decisions to follow you. I pray that you would get out, I, my words would get out of the way. What I've said is that's broken or wrong, that through the power of your spirit that you'll talk to hearts to bring them closer to you. And so it's you that we worship. Pray in your name. Let's thank Doug for sharing this morning.
A great word. And let's all stand together to our feet. And this